A suburban wife and mom turned to the internet to make a little cash with a side hustle, but when she ended up dead outside her home, the media swarmed and focused on her adult-themed business. To catch her killer, police looked no further than her own husband as the culprit. Was this a tragic accident as her husband claimed, or was the answer something more sinister? This week's episode is The Murder of Cat West. In the night, your heart fills with dread Probably a murderer who wants you dead It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse It's hopeless, you're doomed, you'd call a priest if you could You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood Well, this was suggested by Nikki Higdon. I had not heard of this case before, and she emailed us the link, and I read the entire article immediately and became very interested right off the bat. Usually I have Mm -hmm. to kind of digest it and think about it, but this immediately grabbed me for several reasons, and... um, so thank you, Nikki, for the suggestion. I hadn't heard of this until then. Yeah, we'd love to get suggestions. And there's a another influencer out of Houston that the case is still unfolding that when I was Googling, you know, influencer or Instagram model or whatever, those stories were also coming up as oh, well. Oh, the so, young one that was found dead in mm-hmm. the bushes. Yeah, that's so sad. Yes, yep. So that's one that we'll keep our eye mm-hmm. on, too, since it's kind of still unfolding. But this one, it was just so happened that uh, he's... Yeah, you know, about to get sentenced, just got convicted, even though it happened a, a little bit mm-hmm. ago. But happened several definitely... years ago. But such is the court system; takes a while yes. to get things, yeah, get things going. Yeah. So that's one thing we won't have in this episode is the sentencing. But we do plan on doing an update in a month or two on our Patreon minisodes that will cover that. Yep. Once uh, once we know what happens, I think that it was like a 60 day time frame. Mm-hmm. They said that the that's as soon as the court could get the sentencing hearing on the calendar. But I think his he and his lawyer kind of they kind of stalled a little bit for the trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll see as the evidence comes out why maybe that was. But this is one where it's a super small town. But all of a sudden, you know, the courthouse is packed with Dateline and 2020. And of course, all the local news outlets did excellent coverage. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot of our sources came from the local county newspapers and the nearby Birmingham newspapers and things like that. So it's it's so weird. You live in a small town like this and you think, well, no one's ever going to hear of Calera, Alabama. Yep. And wow, next thing you know. Unfortunately, it's something like this that puts you on the map instead of something mm-hmm. you want to be known for. For sure. We're talking about the murder of Cat West, also known as Kitty Cat West. She kind of had... I don't. Uh, the media kept calling it a double life. I feel like when you imply someone has a double life, the person is trying to keep one life secret. And by all accounts, that wasn't what she was trying to do. So I don't like to refer no. to it as a double life because that implies like um, secrecy. I think she just she was a mom and a housewife. She also was an online exhibitionist and that was her business. Mm-hmm. And those two things can go on at the same time. And, I think uh, so. And totally we have fine. a prudish, prudish media that I mean, yes. sex work is real work. What she's doing is real work. And she that's how she made her mm-hmm. money. Her husband was aware of it. 
it looked from her Facebook and, you know, Twitter and Instagram, it was her real name. It's not mm-hmm. like she hid what the name, you know, she, like you said, if her real name is Cat West and she goes by, you know, Electra Carmichael or so, you know, she has like some secret Electra name. Carmichael's but, pretty good. That's a good, um, was, was, that, was that a Carmen Electra, but kind of oh, flipped that's around? True. I did just get the Carmen Electra uh, dance oh, that's DVDs. That's right, from exactly. our good friend Beth Yanuker. Thank you. Yes. Uh, um, that's have you but, tried it yet? Uh, not yet. I have to find a DVD player. <laughs> I think it works on the PlayStation, so maybe I'll have Paris help me oh, figure yeah, that out. Oh, yeah, you can use a PlayStation for that. Yes, you can. Um, that's what they're made for is for the Carmen Electra yes, dance I'm pretty DVDs. sure. That's why you get a PlayStation. But it's very funny to me. It's not funny. Paris was working in the living room while I was watching a lot of YouTube clips and news clips on this. And he's like, Jesus Christ, this is so sensationalized. It was, yeah. I think it was Ashley Banfield on Headline News that are like, a mom is a porno actress. And you're like, no, she wasn't. No. You know, she's a model. She's had an OnlyFans. But it's funny to me how... It's almost like the the media is still trying to push this narrative of like, can you believe that she's selling photos online? And I'm like, that's good for her. Yeah. Have you uh, been on the internet? That's pretty much what it is. (laughs) You know what? Some people send it for free. of the internet. Yeah. Or have you been on Snapchat? I mean, like, yeah. And that's one thing that, as we'll see, um, Jeff West's attorney kind of says, is the media wouldn't even give a shit about this case if it wasn't for her online business. And he's kind of yeah. got a point there. Yeah. he. I think he made some implications about her online yes. business. But I do think he's right that if it wasn't, if she had an Etsy shop where she sell, you know, she sold like crocheted bunny rabbit, you know, whatever, hats or something, it would not be as sensational no. as, and especially she did have such an online presence and online footprint that the, the media wants to find the story. Mm-hmm. And so I think in this case, they may have created this double life narrative, but I don't think she was. You know, she wouldn't hide it. If there's one thing we've learned in the two and a half years we've been doing this, it's mm-hmm. you can't trust the media, Heather. Sometimes they make things <laughs> Sometimes up or they make them sound worse they than they are. push a narrative that they want because it gets ratings and sex sells. And yes, this is definitely one of those cases. But as we'll see, there's a lot more to the story than just what her business was. I think so. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. Kathleen Don Martin, a native of Tampa, Florida, was born February 15, 1975. In 2004, while working at a tanning salon in Georgia, she met Jeff West. Jeff was a recruiter for the U.S. Army at the time and had an office in the same strip center. According to Kat's mother, Nancy, the two dated for a while, before tying the knot a few months later on June 3rd in a Las Vegas ceremony. The couple had a daughter, Lola, together in 2011. In 2015, the family bought a house in Calera, a small town of just over 11,000 people, about 32 miles south of Birmingham, Alabama. The family of three then made their home in their two-story brick house in the quiet suburb. Yeah, it's a, it looks like a D.R. Horton, every other, you know, like a little playing community. Looks like Frisco or Forney, or these are all suburbs mm-hmm. I'm naming in the Dallas area. Looks like a... <laughs> totally normal any just any town usa type of suburb yes nice house any bird yeah. in 2018 42 year old cat described herself on facebook as a full-time wife and mommy but cat also had a different side to her in march of 2016 she had opened a twitter account where she would post links to sites where she sold dresses shoes and kids clothes for side money 
Then on August 11th of that year, her post became much racier, as she tweeted, Happy Frisky Friday! Let's get this party started. The tweet then linked to her pay-per-view site, OnlyFans.com. On this site, she was known as Kitty Cat West and sold racy pictures of herself to her subscribers for $15.99 per month. She also included a wish list where subscribers could buy lingerie for her to wear. You know what? You make money selling dresses, shoes, and kids' clothes. You can make even more money modeling, taking pictures, whatever you want to call it. Go for it. I and she was gorgeous. I am not here to judge anyone. Yeah, she was very pretty. Mm-hmm. I have never been to that site. I mean, I don't I've know clicked. why I would go to it. I've never, like, I don't have, like, a login, but I've seen where people have linked and been like, this is so-and-so's OnlyFans. Famous uh, wet-ass pussy singer. Oh, nice. <laughs> Sorry, Who's that. this? What, the, what, the, wet-ass pussy? Cardi B. Cardi B. Oh, yeah, yeah, She yeah. is an OnlyFans, and she posts, I don't know what she posts, but I believe she also posts, like, behind-the-scenes stuff. Like, oh, okay. she has, so she uses it as, like, an all-access. I feel like it's similar to Patreon, and I know... There are some people, the first time I ever saw Patreon was a uh, model who did cosplay, but she did like scantily Mm -hmm. clad versions of cosplay. So it was like Woody from Toy Story, but it was like a string bikini that looked like yellow on the top and then the panties were blue and she was like, Woody. Let's not do that, guys. Come on. I don't want to think about a wooden boy doll. Don't taint Toy Story with your taint. (laughs) She's rubbing Toy Story on her taint. (laughs) Uh, but that was the first time I saw Patreon. So honestly, before we got into this was way before podcasting, too. I thought, oh, Patreon's where you sell sex photos. And then we were doing this and we're like, we need to start a Patreon. I'm like, well, we have to start taking. <laughs> so when I suggested pictures. that, were you like, all right, I guess we're taking this sex photos. <laughs> we got to. But you we still pay yes the ended it, which I appreciate. <laughs> that's right. Anytime. Anytime. Yeah, that's going to be our extra. I'm trying to think of what I would charge. Um, That is uh, our $25,000 tier. Twenty five thousand a month, half a nip. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just take a picture of my butt. Yeah, and you'll know it's mine because the Blues Brothers. Tattoo. That's true. Yes. Uh, have you ever sent erotic photos of yourself? I think we've talked someone? about this several times. I think we did, and the did answer we? is no, I haven't. Okay, because I said I have, and uh, if step it was when I was like nineteen, and my body was fine. So if somebody had it, put that on a billboard. I'd not be ashamed. <laughs> I'm like, show it. Uh, is this you? Hell yes, yeah, that, that is was me. me. I'm very proud Hell of it. Yeah. I am proud. So, I mean, be proud. You know, I have uh, a friend that's a model and she does like boudoir lingerie mm-hmm. modeling and it's a living, man. Make Do that it. money. Make it however you want. Make that money. While Jeff, age 44, had been working as an army recruiter when the two met, he had been honorably discharged after having served for 21 years. After that, he worked as a campus security officer at Birmingham Southern College. By all accounts, Jeff knew of his wife's online business and lifestyle and claimed to take no issue with it. Facebook photos depict a happy couple and family that traveled together, played board games, enjoyed playing in the snow, and had a seemingly normal relationship. But in January of 2018, this depiction of alleged happiness would all be brought into question. And again, her Facebook is them on trips, Mm -hmm. them at restaurants, and also her in bikinis and selfie shots really breast forward selfie shots saying like frisky friday so even just everyday friends and neighbors that are like hey are you going to the bake sale they saw pictures you know it wouldn't be shocking to them to hear again i feel like you're right this whole she had a double life no it's just it was sensationalization she had she posted and also on her facebook were pictures of her kid 
who's a teen. Mm-hmm. She's in middle school. So, you know, it was just a normal family. She would post pictures that were a little bit racy that anyone could see. OnlyFans was for the subscribers where she would post mm-hmm. racier photos that, you know, mm-hmm. Facebook is going to take down and everything. And also that you want to make money off of. Yeah. Save the good stuff for the, the paying yeah, customers. But uh, by all accounts, um, Jeff claims he had no issue with it. Mm-hmm. And her whole family knew what she did, too. It wasn't like she was mm-hmm. keeping it a secret from her parents or her in-laws or anything like that. Everyone knew what she was doing. On January 12th, 2018, Jeff and Kat had a date night that included dinner at the Red Zone Sports Grill off Highway 31 in Calera. Security camera footage showed the two later that night entering a local liquor store where, according to Jeff, they purchased Jameson whiskey for him and lucid absence for Kat before stopping at a Publix grocery store, then heading home. Once home, Jeff claims they imbibed in about six drinks. The footage of them are like, in the the liquor store, they look like they're having oh, a good yeah. time. And he, there's a shot of him, like, playfully patting her on the butt. The clerk said they came in. It was clear that they, you know, it seemed like they were on a date night. They bought their stuff. There wasn't anything off. They're, you know, it was just, it was just whatever. Whenever I see that kind of footage and then you think a few hours later, that girl's going to wind up dead. That's just so Mm -hmm. eerie. It's so you have no idea that the absinthe that you're buying Mm -hmm. may contribute to your, you know, it's just such an everyday Mm -hmm. thing that you're like, oh, I always get this drink. Yeah. Side note, Publix is the best grocery store I've ever been to. Oh, no way. Is it like a Southeast Florida? Uh, it was a Georgia, Florida Alabama? thing for sure. I didn't know it was in Alabama, but that makes that makes sense. But man, that is a good grocery store. I, is it rival H-E-B? Everybody in Texas loves H-E-B. Yeah, I haven't been in H-E-B in a minute. It may even be owned by H-E-B. Oh, maybe so. Yeah. I don't know. Like but Central Market. They is. had just like their their own brand was so good and they would always have these little stations in them where you could get sandwiches made and sub sandwiches and they were so freaking good it was just a really good grocery store anybody that i know that is familiar with Publix, it's like this group where you're like oh hell yeah Publix is a great grocery (laughs) store like gotta stop at the Publix. i'm sure anyone listening right now is like Publix is great if you live around a Publix. damn around 10 30 p.m jeff said that his wife changed into some lingerie so he could take pictures of her for a website once that was finished Jeff claims he fell asleep while Kat stayed up drinking and that he didn't wake up again until 5.15 a.m. when he heard his dogs barking and police sirens outside his house. When Jeff went to see what all the commotion was, a neighbor described to local news that four police cars swarmed on him in the front yard as he held up his hands and lied cooperatively on the ground. Yeah, the neighbor talking about it, it's a very, again, quiet Mm -hmm. community, little suburb, and he's like, we heard all these noises and we poke our head out. We're like, oh, my God, that's our neighbor. And he's seen it. I mean, you just imagine this takedown that's it's happening. It's not something on you your... expect to see no. in uh, the suburbs where they lived, for sure. Plus, it was not just him in the front yard. You know, right. the scene was out there, yes. too. So that's something very disturbing for the neighbor, Salsi. Do you think you know your neighbors, man? Nah. Uh, we have very good neighbors. You have the neighbors that bring you peach pie. Yeah. Go screw yourself. <laughs> That's one. And then on the other side, oh my gosh, for Christmas, they, because he's a chef. He's a pastry chef. They're also listeners. So hi, Keith and Doug. Hey. We love you guys. They brought us um, homemade toffee and granola, and it was so good. I ate like all of it in one sitting. I live in the Also, worst we're taking care of their chickens right now because they're out of town. 
and Ella is in love with these chickens. Are you going to get chickens next? I've wanted chickens for years, and Tommy says no. And honestly, I get it, because the reality is he'll end up having to take care of the chickens. So (laughs) I understand if he doesn't want to take care of the chickens, but you get free eggs every day. Yes. Please get chickens so I can also have eggs. Yes. That's what my sister's neighbor had chickens for a while and there was always eggs. And I would go over there and they'd be like, just take just take a dozen eggs There's home with so you. There's so many <laughs> eggs. I ain't saying no. The, they have five chickens and they get two to three eggs a day. That's breakfast Damn. every day. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. For free. Mm-hmm. Only the cost of the chickens and chicken yes, feed. Yes, and taking care of them and all that. But, you know. Man, you're lucky. You had the neighbor jackpot. I do man. have very good neighbors. I do. I'm the bad neighbor. My neighbor's dog. Not dog. My neighbor's kid threw a ball over the fence. It was a football, and Buffy chewed it and exploded. It. Like, it's, like, done. And they had to knock on the door and be like, our football's in your backyard. And I went out there and found it and was like, sorry, here it is. It's flat. So I'm, I'm that <laughs> Well, neighbor. you know what? That's hit my window with a, It comes well, in your backyard. With baseball, and I had to yell at them and be like, no. I would, I would yell about that for sure. I'm that lady on the street. I ain't making nobody no peach pies. <laughs> The scene in those early morning hours was grisly. A 19-year-old neighbor on her way to work at a fast food restaurant had called 911, reporting that she'd seen the body of a woman, naked except for a pink sports bra, lying half in the yard and half on the road, bleeding. During the call, the neighbor also tells the 911 operator that she can see a man pacing back and forth inside Kat's home. Ascendant Shelby County Assistant District Attorney Dan McBrayer would later repeat five times in his opening statement of the trial, according to the Shelby County reporter. Yeah, they said this poor girl was driving by and saw her and drove back to her parents' house and said, you have to come see this. Like, picked up her parents and then they went and... What do I do? I mean, you're 19. It's still dark outside. You're like, Mm -hmm. what? that's the last thing you expect to see. And then Dan McBrayer in those opening statements repeated, he was pacing back and forth inside his home at 5 15 a.m with the door open yes and that's what uh, and the lights on and i think that's why the witness said she said i i didn't know the mom called the police mm-hmm. and, as well and said i'm sure that they've already called because we see the guy walking around in his house and no one so i'm sure you in. already have a call and the 911 said nope nope nobody called it in and in fact yeah the operator was like can you please go up to her and see if she's responsive? And they did, mm-hmm. and she wouldn't respond. And they're like, uh, yeah, I don't think. And then that's when medics and everything showed up. But yeah, that's uh, we'll see that not everything adds up. And the significant amount of blood that was on the pavement mm-hmm. that's visible, not there's no photos of her still in the crime scene. Thankfully, that does not need to be on the internet. But post, once she's been taken away, the amount of blood, mm-hmm. I mean, you maybe wouldn't even need to go up and check for a, yeah. you know, like, and plus they said it was really cold outside mm-hmm. and she's, you know, in states of undress. But I would be scared as the person calling 911, if this has happened, he hasn't called the police. He's in an agitated state walking around back in the house. What if he sees you out mm-hmm. there? God knows what's going to happen next. Yeah, for sure. When first responders arrived, they found Kat in a pool of blood outside the couple's home. Beside her was her cell phone. And sitting on top of it, the bottle of lucid absinthe the couple purchased the night before. Witnesses said the scene looked staged, with the liquor bottle seemingly carefully placed on top of Kat's cell phone. Immediately, Jeff became a suspect and was taken to the station for questioning. Well, like you said, it don't add up. So here's where things start to look real fishy. Mm-hmm. Have you ever 
sat your phone down on the ground and then placed a bottle of liquor on top of it? The more important question is, have you ever tripped and fell and your phone landed and your liquor bottle fell directly right. on top of the phone perfectly placed? No, I that has never happened. I don't think that physics would allow no. for that. And I don't know why, even if you were just setting your things down, why you would set a heavy bottle of glass on top of your fragile phone. Why you a wouldn't just of, set it next to it. A liquor bottle that also has your blood on it. Yes, it doesn't make sense. No. In a 90-minute videotaped interview, an emotionless Jeff told lead investigator Detective Mike Melhoff that on the morning of Kat's death, he had taken their daughter Lola to middle school. He then spent the rest of the day hunting with his dad. Later that evening, Jeff's dad took Lola to spend the weekend with him and her grandmother, a regular occurrence. Jeff then described how he and Kat had a date night that included dinner and drinks. Yeah, he was Mirandized and he waived the right to an attorney or the right to remain silent. And I think that uh, was not helpful to his case. That's pretty ballsy and pretty, um, you're pretty confident. I got to say, we have scoured the internet to try and find the actual interview. Mm -hmm. And it's just not out there. But... Mm -mm. By all accounts, he was pretty emotionless throughout the entire thing, Mm -hmm. which we say, you know, everyone processes grief differently, but it's, he, uh, he definitely has a very flat effect about the whole thing. And we'll also get into the body cam footage at the scene of the crime when he was told that was his wife laying dead in the street, how he just doesn't really react. He doesn't really have any emotion to it. He's not shocked no. that that. No, so they're he's like, not. that's your wife out there. And yeah, so w- what we've been able to ascertain is all this is from people who are in the trial who then transcribed it or mm-hmm. described it in the press, but it's not been released, the, either the body cam footage or the interview footage, but both of them. And of course, according to his lawyer, he's a soldier, he's a law enforcement, but I think you're right about the confidence thing. Even though he's not a, you know, quote unquote, real cop, he was a campus security officer and I think you have this false sense of, oh, I know what I'm doing. I know what I can say. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need a lawyer. I'm fine. He, also, I feel like he thinks he's not going to get He just seems charged. like a cocky asshole. Yeah. During the interview, Detective Melhoff asked Jeff about his wife's online business. Jeff insisted he knew all about it and was fine with it, saying, There's nothing to be jealous about. Me and her were in a good spot. He claimed he was happy that she made money from it. Others that knew Jeff said he even enjoyed the fact that other men lusted after his wife. When Melhoff asked about the couple's sex life, however, Jeff did allude to some problems, telling the detective that problems would arise over the frequency with which Kat wanted to have sex. While his wife preferred four or five times a week, Jeff said he wasn't as sexual of a person as her and didn't always feel up to it, something that often caused issues. Also, the Daily Sun, I believe, also talked about how Supposedly, she wanted to explore an open, Mm -hmm. more open relationship or maybe with female partners. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing where, you know, you didn't go to bed the night before thinking, well, in a couple months, everyone's going to know the details of my sex life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He said he told the detective that um, she did have an interest in women and had even met up with some other women in Kalira and everything and wanted to explore that. But... And I don't think she was ashamed of that by any means, but Mm-mm. yeah, no one ever thinks 
all of this is going to come out and everyone's going to know everything about myself. Even if you're not ashamed of your preferences, do you really, I don't want my whole details of all my sex life coming out in in a bunch of articles. No, that's what I mean. And I agree. And she shouldn't be ashamed. And if you're in a, you know, heterosexual marriage and you want to explore other things, you do you, Mm -hmm. man, go for it. And don't be ashamed about it. But the intimate details Mm -hmm. of how many times a week you want to have sex versus your husband. Like, that's just the kind of stuff that, you know, you expect as a couple that it'll stay between you Mm -hmm. and this handful of people that you trust, your therapist, your friends, your girlfriends, the people you bring into your marriage. That's fine. But the fact that it's in international newspapers. The fact that we're talking about it on a podcast right now. Yeah. You just never expect Mm -hmm. it. And that's the... At the end of all of this, you know, the sad part is that she's her life was taken from her. And not only that is like her dignity, almost Mm -hmm. like all of these details and facts about her life and the way people are painting her and things like that. And, uh, you know, you you hear Ashley Banfield on headline news being like a sexy mom. And it's like this is a human lady. with a kid. She's kind of her whole identity has been tied to one thing when there was a Mm -hmm. lot more to her than that. She she contained multitudes. Yes. Yeah. Over the next month and a half, authorities claim they collected enough evidence to issue an arrest warrant for a suspect. On February 22nd, 2018, Jeff West was arrested outside his home for the murder of his wife, Kat West. Defense attorney John Robbins appeared on CBS 42 News and defended his client's innocence. Robbins said he was looking into her lifestyle in order to find possible suspects for the crime, stating, she didn't have her website in which she would dress in sexy clothes and post pictures on the internet. If that wasn't this aspect of the case, the public would have no interest. So she had followers out there. So we will look to see if that's connected to the case. A lot of shaming mm-hmm. from this guy from Robbins. Mm-hmm. I do agree that the media wouldn't have been as interested. But to immediately try and paint this narrative up, well, she was asking for it. If she hadn't yeah. been posting sexy pictures of herself, somebody who was obsessed with her wouldn't have come along and done this when there was no indication Mm-mm. that there was any kind of stalker or anybody obsessed. No. She hadn't received any kind of threatening messages. There was nothing like she was scared of someone or anything like that. He, but he immediately tried to push this narrative to get the heat off his client. Yeah, and uh, you should be a zealous advocate for your client, but I don't think it should be at the expense of the Mm -hmm. victim. And again, her dignity and the choices that she made, which she had a total right to make, that did not have an impact. Like, like her sex work had nothing to do with her death. Mm -mm. And yeah, I... And he tried to make it sound like it did. Yes. Jeff's bond was set at $500,000, which his attorney argued was too much. The judge denied a request for a bond reduction at a pretrial hearing. In that hearing, Kat's mom, Kathy Martin, volunteered to pay her son-in-law's bond if it was lowered, saying afterwards, Unless you have a video that shows him doing it, I will never believe it. And then I'd be thinking somebody doctored it because there's no way I believe ever, ever in this world that he could have hurt her in any way. Despite this unusual point of view from the victim's family, Jeff remained in Shelby County Jail awaiting trial. Yeah, it wasn't just let him lower his bond. She's like, lower his bond. I will pay it. Let him out. He is totally innocent. Mm -hmm. And we'll see that that point of view to this day day is still there. And she testifies on his behalf and everything. And I think that um, perhaps she really does think he's completely innocent. 
Mm -hmm. I also think it would be a very hard thing to come to terms with to think my son-in-law who they they were together for 14 years you know Mm -hmm. she I mean he was a huge part of their life forever to think like I didn't know this person the father of my grandchild could have done this to my daughter that's a hard thing to wrap your head around that's true it's her maybe her way of coping of let, now I have to do anything possible to keep Lola's dad from getting out of jail or from going to jail versus I want to try to keep the person who probably killed my daughter out of jail. I think her, the impetus of her doing that is coming from maybe wanting to keep, you know, some parent for Lola. Yeah. Keep him around. Yeah. And I mean, maybe she really did see, think that he didn't do this, you know? I mean, so who knows? But it's definitely, uh, an unusual part of this case. Typically, the yeah. the victim's family is not siding with the person that is on trial for killing their loved one. That is true. And his lawyer also, the argument for the bond, you know, his lawyer was like, he's not dangerous. He's not a danger to the community. But I think the argument for setting it that high and for keeping him in jail as long as they did, you know, awaiting trial was that he's former law enforcement-ish, you know, from the military would he try to leave town? Well, you know, if he has those like survival skills, you know, he knows how to go out in the woods and hunt and fish. You know, is he going to try to jump? I don't think he would have. Um, but they they pushed for it and the judge, you know, allowed it for him to have bond that high. Mm-hmm. The week long trial finally began on November 17th, 2020. Shelby County Assistant District Attorney Daniel McBrayer argued that the motive was simple. Jeff was fed up that Kat drank to excess and posted racy photos online. According to McBrayer, at some point in the night, an argument erupted between the couple, presumably over Jeff's negative feelings toward his wife's online business. As A.L. reported, McBrayer told the courtroom that at this point, he grabs her phone and chucks it out the front door where it lands in the street. Previous testimony had in fact shown Kat's cell phone was cracked when placed into evidence. He's starting to, you know, he has to build a narrative. The yeah. One of the reporters that was in the room who she's a reporter for CBS and we'll link her Twitter feed and all the tweets that she did in the show notes because they were fantastic. She uh, talked about how it almost sounded, his opening statement almost sounded like a poetry reading Mm. that he would repeat. She said, especially like you said earlier, walking back and forth, pacing back and forth, that he said he paced back and forth in the house. He paced back and Mm -hmm. forth. And she said he really tried to present this picture of the night that it was not at all like what Jeff claimed it was. Mm-hmm. I think the more you reiterate those lines and let them sink into, it kind of eats at your brain and gets in there like Costanza. Yeah. And <laughs> it allows for the jury to see like, oh yeah, this was premeditated perhaps if he's, you know, and he knew what had happened and he chose not to call the police and everything. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, that if that's the sticking point for you as the attorney who's doing the research, then you know I need to emphasize that because it's going to you're going to get a twelve angry men situation mm-hmm. where someone's like, no, look, we had we can't say she must have fallen down. In that case, why was he up pacing in the morning? Mm-hmm. Was he worried that she was gone? He could have looked out his window. Oh wait, the window was open. He saw what was that. You know, so great movie, like twelve that. angry men. Oh, so good and a great Dick Van Dyke show episode parody called One Angry Man. That's very <laughs> funny. Prosecutors painted the picture that Kat, wearing only her bra, went out the front door to retrieve her phone. Jeff, drunk and angry, 
then grabbed the bottle of lucid absinthe and followed his wife outside, where he hit her over the head, killing her. Stephen Payne, a fingerprint examiner from the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency, testified about the thumbprint on the neck of the absinthe bottle found beside Kat's body. The print belonged to Jeff and was in a downward direction, which prosecutors argued meant that Jeff had held the bottle like a weapon. Even more damning, Jeff's prints were the only ones on the bottle. Yeah, so it's like he grabbed from the neck yeah. down, so his thumbprint was up and down. You I would think not that's... grab a bottle like that to drink it. No, you couldn't. Yeah, you'd dump it upside yeah, down. No. So yeah, he's he's wielding it. I do find it interesting that her prints weren't on all, on this bottle at all. Yeah, and I wonder, you know, what she was drinking or if, you know, she had picked it up with a towel or something like that, why it would only have the one print on it. Because but... they said, well, I think nine prints were lifted off of it. And they mm-hmm. were all his. But Jeff said they bought it specifically for her to drink. And mm-hmm. he also claimed that when he went upstairs to go to bed at 1030, she was sitting at their kitchen table drinking straight out of the bottle. Mm. So one has to wonder, did he wipe it down? And missed. And missed something, perhaps? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I mean, unless he was pouring her drinks all night, that it doesn't make sense why she wouldn't have some fingerprints on the bottle. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, and he also, or the examiner, Stephen Payne, talks about that the process that they went through. So it's not like they dusted it old school style. Like they put it in like mm-hmm. the, the the chamber and everything. So it's state of the art, you know, for people think that what they want to think about the South. But they were using like, you know, for all his lawyer wants to say about, well, you know, it could have been because of this or maybe it was, you know, a mistake. I think this evidence is solid that oh, there yeah. is a... His prints are on the bottle, and it is a downward-facing print where he wielded it. They were not using scotch tape to no. <laughs> to pick up dust particles that made uh, a fingerprint. Yeah, they put it into a latent fingerprint the gas chamber machine that had, like, nine prints show up and everything. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, I think this is the most damning evidence against him. I do, too. Upon bludgeoning his wife with the liquor bottle, McBrayer argued that Jeff's investigator training he received as a former campus security officer and his training from the Army kicked in. McBrayer theorized that Jeff staged the scene to make it look as though his wife fell, hit her head on the cold ground, and died. Jeff then allegedly placed the absinthe bottle on top of Kat's cell phone before heading back inside their home, leaving his unconscious wife to bleed to death. This is stupid. This is stupid. If you're staging a scene... Why are you putting the phone on top of the, the bottle on top of the phone? The only thing I can think is if he had thrown the phone, she went out to get it and didn't find it. And he hits her, knocks her down and she falls and he goes to set the bottle down. Did he just happen to sit it on the phone and not realize that he wasn't sitting it on the concrete? I don't know that unless he wanted them to be found together. And in which case he should have sat it like beside the bottle yeah. But he was also drunk. Yeah. I mean, he they don't ever get a BAC on him just because by the time that, you know, the cops came and everything, he hadn't been drinking. But by all accounts, if you have six drinks, mm-hmm. you may not be. But, you know, you, you kind of sober up pretty quick and think, oh, fuck, I've got to clean this situation up. So, you know, maybe he meant to put it beside the phone, but he put it directly on top of it. It's just one of those where what is that? The um, riddle that they asked us when we were on Good Morning Texas and it was like then the tape was rewound. And it's like, well, how do you know the, the dead person can't rewind the tape? It's mm-hmm. like that's how you know is that if she fell down again, it's not going to land perfectly upright on no. her phone. And I think that was 
the thumbprint, downward facing thumbprint and the being set on the phone is where you see, okay, there's a, an outside actor. This was not a woman tripped and fell. This looks super staged. And that's yeah. exactly what I was going to say, what you said. He's shit faced mm-hmm. while this is going on. I mean, he's had, he said he had six drinks at of hard, home of hard liquor at home. They'd also, Plus, before they even went to Red Zone, which is a sports bar, they had had dinner at Papado's. So you got to take into account, and admittedly, they were drinkers, mm-hmm. as specifically Cat. He says that, you know, in, in the police interview, Melhoff asks him, did y'all fight a lot? And he said, well, we had normal problems. We we fought mostly about her drinking. Mm-hmm. So, and her family admitted, too, that she would drink to excess and drink a lot. So if you've got a dinner at Papado's, then you're going to a sports bar and grill, then you're going to a liquor store and getting hardcore liquor mm-hmm. and then going absinthe. home and absinthe and and whiskey, then going home and indulging even more. We'll see what her what her BAC was and it was out of control. But yeah, I mean, he is probably shit faced as well. Mm-hmm. So like we've talked about all the time, who hasn't done things that in the moment when you're that drunk, you think this makes perfect sense. This is going to cover my ass. And then in Mm -hmm. retrospect, you're like, well, that is what blew my whole cover. Yeah. It's almost like a child Mm -hmm. trying to make choices. And like, you don't have the motor skills to do the proper thing. No. You don't have the critical thinking skills to properly, you know, and for justice for her, it's good that he was so bad at covering it up. It still doesn't bring her back. But when the defense presented their side, attorney John Robbins did not dispute Kat's excessive alcohol use but instead pointed to that as the cause of her death, arguing she was drunk and accidentally fell. Tests had revealed that Kat's body had a BAC of 0.23, three times the legal limit to drive. Additional tests of fluid in her eyes showed a BAC of 0.284, meaning she was even more intoxicated at the time of her death. 0.284 is a lot. Yeah, 0.23 is a lot, but Mm 0.2, I mean, yes. In submitted body cam footage from the scene of the crime, jurors saw Jeff calmly talking with officers at the scene, explaining the cat drank a lot and would fall down when drunk. He also said she would perform cheerleader-type jumps off of a utility box or jump on their trampoline while drunk, something Cat's mother also confirmed. Robbins argued that a similar scenario caused Cat's death. While the body cam footage did show a trampoline in the couple's backyard, Investigators found no evidence of blood on or near it. And we'll get to the head injury, but apparently Jeff had told a friend, I don't know what happened. I think maybe she hit her head on the trampoline pole. Mm -hmm. But the way that the injury is, we'll see. And then also they checked the trampoline and that's not what happened. No. Uh, I think he, you know, maybe it feels like if you are as intoxicated as he was, you feel like it was a bad dream. And so maybe you start trying to fill in the blanks yourself Mm -hmm. and go, well, maybe, maybe I didn't do that. Maybe she did just fall. But I think he knew what happened. Yeah. And this body cam footage, which, again, I would love to get my hands on. But from everything I've read, so he walks outside at 5.15 a.m. Mm-hmm. Shit's going wild in his front yard. He finds an officer and says, what's going on? The officer mm-hmm. who this is the one that has the his body cam on takes him into the house in the house, says. We located your your or he says we've located a woman outside and Jeff's like that's my wife he said well she's dead mm-hmm. no emotion mm-hmm. and instead he's just kind of like well yeah she drinks a lot 
And when she drinks, she's known to fall down and she she jumps on the trampoline or she does jumps off of our electrical box. So kind of implying like, I'm not surprised this happened. And then the I mean, the body cam footage is 30 minutes long. And the officer says, you know, he's kind of trying to have like a person to person conversation with him here. Mm-hmm. And they talk about hunting. They talk about, you know, guns, military the army. Yeah, all sorts of stuff. And he's just kind of like, nah. I mean, he doesn't break down like one would if you just heard your spouse is found dead in your front yard. Mm-hmm. Now but again, he's not. He's not shocked. That's no. the thing. Is that I get? You know, people. Everybody deals with trauma in a different way and bad news in a different way. And you know, his knees don't buckle. But also, he's not even like, "What do you mean she's dead?" It's mm-hmm. like she's dead. Yeah, it happens. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. it's not like well, a squirrel got a run lot, over. So. Yeah. It's yeah. just such a, and I think the that coupled with the other footage of him really turned the jury mm-hmm. on him. The jury and the media. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The prosecution called to the stand the Alabama Department of Forensic Sciences pathologist, Dr. Stephen Boudreau. Dr. Boudreau testified that based on the length and depth of the cut on Kat's head, that it was inconsistent with a fall especially given the fact she was a petite 5'2". Instead, Boudreau alleged that the two-inch-long laceration was caused from a blunt-force object striking Cat on the head, testifying in court. It was a considerable amount of force to cause an injury like that. Cat West would likely have lost consciousness immediately. Scalp wounds bleed like mad. It's The brain is a very vascular structure. So yeah, if she had done this on the trampoline, she wouldn't have made it to the front yard. Mm-mm. And there would be a thing of blood and there'd be a trail, a trail of, blood. of blood even if she had yeah where she laid was where she was killed in my opinion yes for sure and also i think being five foot two tripping and falling and bonking your head you didn't fall far enough to get that deep of it and also it's it's not like she tripped and fell on the corner of a metal table it's mm-hmm. you know the D- robbins the defense attorney wants you to think that she tripped and fell and bonked her head on the sidewalk well that's physically impossible the amount of velocity that she would be going at at only five two yeah yeah and in the taped interview with jeff they tell him during that interview well we believe your wife was murdered and Mm -hmm. he's like well how and they're like we're not sure but there's holes in the side of her head that indicate that she was murdered so and again if you fall physical hole yeah if you fall it's like more of a crushing yeah if you're hit over the head with a bottle the the rim of the bottom of a liquor bottle that's mm-hmm. going to take a chunk out yeah it's an indentation with the glass and everything mm-hmm. yeah hannah Payne, another scientist with the alabama department of forensic sciences also testified saying on the stand that she received nearly 40 items from the crime scene to be processed for blood and dna evidence according to al.com of these items cat's blood was found on the bottom of the absence bottle as well as on a towel from the master bathroom and on a white tank top in a laundry basket. During cross-examination, Payne said that while the evidence did show Kat's blood on these items, that there was no way to know how long it had been there. But also, Jeff was probably wearing the tank top, came inside, dried his hands off, took the tank top. You know, you're drunk and you just put stuff in the laundry basket. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no technology yet to know how long a blood stain has existed on something, which was surprising to me. Mm-hmm. The blood on the bottle of the absence bottle, we can assume that's definitely from that night. 
They didn't. Yeah, because they just bought it. <laughs> yeah, and also it's her blood. It's her blood. I yes. don't think she bled on it, and then it got delivered to the liquor store, no. and she picked up that bottle. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the tank top and the towel. Could that have been from another evening or some other incident? Sure. But when you put all the pieces together, it does seem like, okay, now things are adding up and it's not just circumstantial evidence. Yeah, I think so. While evidence showed Jeff's fingerprints on the absinthe bottle, cat's blood on the bottle, and a chip in the bottom of the bottle, Robbins continued to point out his client's innocence, citing the lack of blood or DNA on Jeff's clothes or hands. Robbins also pointed out that there were no signs of struggle in the house. I don't think those are very relevant things to point no, out. No, I don't. I don't. The sign, no sign of a struggle in the house. That means nothing to me. I think all this took place outside the house. Mm-hmm. On his hand, he's not going to have blood on his hands. He was holding a bottle and wielded it as a weapon. Uh, and then probably went inside, it sounds like, and washed up. If the, he took off the tank top and the towel has blood on it. Yeah, and they did say that, you know, they had forensics come in and do all the the light testing to see if blood had been cleaned up in the sinks or on the floors, and they didn't find anything like that. But I, if they did find his fingerprints on the bottle, and mm-hmm. to me, that's how he killed her. And the blood on the bottle. And I think yeah. the, because they said she has a two-inch laceration in her head, and I think he leaving her out there in the angle that she was left at, that's what, you know, she bled out. Like, mm-hmm. he could have probably rendered aid and saved her, and he left her there. And so he, I don't think that he hit her with such force that it would spray back on him. Right. But it would be yeah. a significant amount. Maybe some on his shirt. And Robin said, well, even though her blood was found on the bottle, there was no hair or tissue. Well, that doesn't, Mm-mm. he might not have hit her hard enough to do that. Yeah. On day two of the trial, the prosecution and defense argued over the admittance of text messages between Jeff and Kat into evidence. Ultimately, Judge Bostick allowed them to be entered, a decision that caused Jeff West to throw his arms up in the air, according to WHNT News. West's attorney, John Robbins, wasn't phased, however, telling WHNT, To me, it's a bunch of baloney. Supposed to show the volatile marriage they had? She's mad at him one minute and sending naked pictures to him and saying she loves him the next. Again, I feel like his attorney just points out things that don't really help his case. Yeah, distractions. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't think it's unusual for a married couple to text, maybe they're in an argument one day, and then a few days later, they're fine and they're texting Mm -hmm. loving things. Now, as we will see, they did text a lot of volatile things to each other. Well, and Robin said his argument was that they would be more prejudicial than they would be probative, which is Mm -hmm. usually what you argue whenever you're trying to get evidence out and saying, you know, showing them fighting isn't going to show what happened that night. It's not like he texted her and said, I'm going to come outside and hit you, which would be probative as to what happened. It's text from like weeks before. Yeah. But the probative value, McBrayer argued, was that it showed the type of relationship that they had, that they weren't all hunky dory all the time, that they could go from one minute you don't love me too. Oh my God, I love you so much. And that yeah. could, tonight could have been one of those nights, I think is what the argument was. It's also interesting that Jeff shows no emotion when he finds out his wife is dead. Mm-hmm. But this decision to let these texts be entered causes him to show maybe the most emotion he did the entire trial. Again, not a great look. And he, as a person, is he looks, uh, he's a shorter guy. Ball-headed. Stocky. 
stocky, bald, shorter guy, no facial hair. And I think he just has kind of a resting. I mean, he looks like a campus police officer. You know, kind of. He looks like a a military dude for sure. Military dude. Just kind of like not, you know, there are some hot military dudes. Oh, (laughs) uh, uh, yeah. Like almost all of them. But he he has this kind of look on his face where he looks kind of like he. He's suspicious, like, of you. You know, I'm trying to... I don't want to say he, he looks, looks like suspicious. a smug asshole. He I'll looks just, smug. I'll say it. Yeah, I mean, he looks like he's suspicious of you. Like, he's like, hmm, I know better than you. Like you said, cocky. So I think no emotion in those videos. It's all starting to pile up against him where you're losing favor with the jury. It's not like you have a heartbroken, sad husband. Mm-mm. You have a husband that's mo- emotionless, but for a moment that it goes wrong for him, and he's like, yeah. God damn it! Like, yeah. Okay. You're looking really. I think bad the here. picture that really sold it for me was a Christmas photo. The Christmas picture where he has the smuggest. You just want to. Oh, and he's wearing a shirt that has Santa on it that says "Where my hose at?" And I was yes. like, this to me sums up who this guy is. Now we know. Yeah. Yes. And and Cat is beautifully dressed next to him and very. Yeah. She's all quaffed up. her hair's all quaffed up. She's got makeup on. She's wearing a cute outfit, and he's like this schlub in a t-shirt. <laughs> Who just looks like an asshole. Yeah. He just has an asshole face. Some people have asshole faces. He's resting asshole face. (laughs) The text the jury heard included exchanges over the past year, including the week before and the day of Kat's death. Several showed that the couple fought in late 2017, after Kat's interaction with Jeff's mom, in which Kat believed she was treated poorly. Other texts showed that while they frequently said, I love you, and called one another baby, they did have issues. One text from Kat on January 4th, 2018 read, I know you're scared to tell me you don't want to be with me. It's only hurting me more by lying. If you don't want me, then say it. I am sorry. I'm thankful for all the years I've had with you. To this, Jeff replied, Baby, I want you. Do you want me? We never really talked after NYE. Well, now we have to wonder what happened on New Year's Eve. And that's the thing. The jury doesn't get any context of no. what these texts are implying, but it clearly implies there were issues and there was probably a fight on New Year's Eve that didn't get resolved. And it and the, again, it goes to McBrayer's narrative of the DA's narrative of this is a volatile marriage mm-hmm. that they could just fly off the handle on each other. And I do think it was a volatile marriage. I think yeah. it's waffled between being like super into each other and being very volatile, fueled by a lot of alcohol. Yeah. It seems like it was not a healthy relationship. They both drank quite a bit and when mm-hmm. drinking is involved, shit goes I I had a friend in college that always used to say drinking leads to drama. And, yeah. and it does, you know, especially if you've already got issues and stuff with each other and they're unresolved. You get a few drinks in you. All that shit's going to come back out. Mm-hmm. And if you're, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? If you're passive aggressive, you know, when you're not drunk, you're going to become straight up just aggressive mm-hmm. when you are drunk. And I think that that also on the flip side, though, kind of plays into Robbins's narrative, which I don't like and I think is gross. And I think he's trying to push. She was a drunk. She was a party girl. She was wild. She got wasted all the time. She would. She was unpredictable. And so it's kind of a double-edged sword that you're, you know, putting these text messages out there because, you know, his argument, the defense's argument is, oh, she was, you know, uncontrollable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my client did nothing. Mm-hmm. Two days later on January 6th, messages seemed to indicate the couple was fighting once again. Kat had texted... 
This is the last time you will fuck me over. You promised. You don't want me? Fine. Someone will. Jeff had replied, I always want you. Later that day, Kat had also texted, You're throwing me almost 14 years of marriage away? Really? That's what I mean to you? While the jury never heard any context associated with the text, it was obvious there was discourse within the marriage. During the trial, the prosecution addressed the jury, saying, This marriage was not in a good place. This was a relationship on the rocks. According to AL.com. So yeah, again, it's that thing... We've all texted stuff we don't want a freaking courtroom to see. Mm -hmm. You don't ever think this is going to get out to everybody. You think you're having a conversation with just your significant other and it's private. Say it and forget it. Write it and regret it. You guys. Honestly, they should have picked up the phone and had these fights. I mean, he should have at least. And Uh, my therapist will say, you, you should only text your spouse loving things and general conversations like, what do you want for dinner? You should not have mm-mm. fights or anything of significant importance in a text because so much gets lost in translation. Yeah. Who knows? You know, I mean, it's just, it's not a good way to have a healthy conversation. And it seemed like a lot of their fighting happened over text, which I'm sure it also happened a lot. In, in person. person as well yeah yeah so it's it's hard again without the context because the jury didn't get context and neither do we mm-hmm. so we don't know what they're fighting about uh, except for to know that she believed that she had been slighted by her mother-in-law and that jeff took mama's side and not wife's yeah. side but it's it's a paint it's painting a picture though that they were not as everything was great we were so fine as jeff wanted everybody to believe mm-hmm. Robbins addressed the text by pointing out that exchanges between the couple on the day of Kat's death showed them making plans for the evening and using terms of endearment with one another. He argued all couples have ups and downs and Jeff and Kat's relationship was no different. Again, he just keeps making these like generic things to help his side where it's like, sure, that's true. But can we also get into the nitty gritty of like, there was clearly other stuff going on and you're kind of just brushing yeah. that under the rug and not really addressing it. He's not explaining it. He's like, yeah, it's there. What? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> It's exactly. bad. It's real bad. Nah, it's fine. It's fine. No, it's, it's yeah, that's, totally uh, normal. Yeah, he's he's trying. He's, he's trying. I mean, it's, it's one of those things with you got a lot of stuff stacked against you and what do you do as a defense attorney? Yeah, you have to just brush it off because mm-hmm. there, because there isn't an explanation. In addition to text messages, jurors also heard the 90-minute taped interview Jeff had given police. Despite Jeff's continued denial of involvement during the interview, both the media and jurors took issue with his lack of emotion. Robbins addressed this, saying, People deal with stressful situations, trauma, and different ways. Not everybody stands there and cries. He's a trained soldier. Soldiers are trained to keep their emotions in check. Which is fine. You don't have to, like I said, you don't have to fall to your knees, but at least act surprised like you didn't know she yeah. was dead already. It is weird. And again, you know, we don't know this dude. Maybe that's, maybe he's an emotionless person all the time. You yeah. know, it, it does seem though, and I, I will, I, I do think that he killed her. So I think if he was trying to fake it, you would almost overact. Yeah. At least, like, feign, like you said, feign some sort of surprise or, or being upset. But he's just, like, a zombie. 
Or don't talk to the cops for 90 minutes without an attorney. Yeah, he is the one that said, I waive my right to an attorney. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk to you for an hour and a half. Also, yes, you can check both of our phones. Mm-hmm. Hand them over. <laughs> like he, so one might argue, well, clearly he's innocent if he's willing to do all of these things. Another might argue, or he's just super arrogant and cocky and didn't think that it, he was going to get caught. I think you, as a lay person, because, yeah, he has law enforcement training, but he's not a scientist. He's not a forensic expert that you would think, oh, well, a head injury from the ground is probably the same as a bottle. They'll never. It's all circumstantial. Mm -hmm. There's no cameras. It's not like they had a ring doorbell that caught everything. You know, there's no cameras that they're never going to know. So I think you're right. It's more like cocky and more like they don't have anything on me. I'll go and talk to them. Mm hmm. However, another issue that arose from the interview were the inconsistencies between Jeff's account of his timeline that evening and what his cell phone had tracked. Jeff had claimed he went to bed at 10.30 p.m. and didn't wake again until 5.15 a.m., but jurors saw iPhone health data proving that Jeff took 18 steps between 11.03 p.m. and 11.10 p.m. This is where we're going to get on the timeline. Here's This is the stuff I love because this is data and you can't argue i mean could there be a glitch sure whatever but as we were talking about before we recorded the fact that technology can now blow your cover so much like people see this and this is why you get convicted yeah and you'd also don't need to remember like the Mm -hmm. the phone can tell you exactly when you went outside or Mm -hmm. the the alarm system can tell you when you went outside the phone can tell you when you stood Mm -hmm. up health data from cat's phone also showed the last movements before her death 87 steps that occurred between 10.45 p.m. and 10.54 p.m. Additional data from the couple's ADT alarm system showed that the front door opened and closed at 10.53 p.m. on January 12, 2018. It did not open again until 1.51 a.m. on January 13th, and it stayed open until 5.12 a.m. when police arrived. I have gone over this. (laughs) I mean, I wrote it out. Same. I, I've t- talked to Tommy. I'm like, I can't wrap my head around this timeline. I stayed up for hours last night thinking about this. Mm-hmm. So 1045 to 1054. That's her last movement. That's her taking 87 steps. At 1053, the front door opens. That's what I can't. So. And the door is open for 10 seconds. It opened at 1053.01 and closed at 1053.11. Okay. So if at 1053. The front door opens and at 1054 is when her phone cuts off her activity. That's enough time for the front door to open him to chunk the phone outside the door, her to run outside after it. And him to run outside after her with the absence. But his phone isn't tracking steps at that time which i so think maybe his phone he just was didn't inside. have a, yes he so he didn't have his phone on him is what i think his I phone is, is on the ca- the counter or wherever yeah inside so he goes back but the thing the number one thing that i can't get around is he did not kill her in 10 seconds he would not have had enough time between 10:53:01 and 10:53:11 this 10 seconds that the door was open and shut yeah to follow her down, hit her, and come back in 10 seconds. So what do you think? I don't know. That's the hard... Could he have opened the front door, thrown the phone, she runs out, he grabs the bottle, goes out after her, shuts the door. That's 10 whole seconds. Okay, so then he kills her, 
How and then maybe in? he doesn't go back in the front door. But I mean, I guess your ADT would still track your back door opening. Yeah, it tracks all. I have ADT. It tracks all of the. There's sensors on every window, door, everything. Yeah. So that's what I don't get is what unless oh, or what? he's outside until one fifty one in the morning. That was my other thing is I don't think so because yeah. then he has steps tracked on his phone between eleven oh three and eleven ten. Yeah. So I'm thinking maybe the altercation happens at the front porch area. I I wonder if he hits her with the bottle and he's still holding it and she he chucks her phone hits her with a bottle, and she stumbles out. So technically she fell, but she would not have died but for him hitting her in the head because it's a two-inch laceration that could start bleeding in her hair. And by the time she... But the again, the forensic guy said she lost consciousness immediately. Yeah. Or would have. But, like, would you... Could she maybe have kept running? Or... Did, no, because he hit her outside. It definitely happened outside or on the curb. Or he hits her. She collapses. He picks her up. At 10, at, but no, because the blood pooled out at the curb. I've yeah, seen the I think, photo. I think wherever she was hit is where she died. Is where she landed. I yes. Did. So yeah, I but, think she was out in the street. He hit her over the head. I think he threw her phone outside. She ran outside to get it. He followed her with the bottle, clunked her over the head. She fell down. But what I can't wrap my head around is this timeline of the front door opening and closing. Yeah, because yes. Because my first theory was, okay, maybe he hit her at the porch and she managed to run as far. It's pretty far. I've seen photos of the front Mm -hmm. of their house and then I've seen the stain where she passed. It's probably 25, 30 feet. It's yes. If that, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. pretty, it's pretty far. So especially if the forensic pathologist says like, listen, she, wherever she got hitched, that's where she lay. That's the, the problem is those 10 seconds is what I'm grappling with. I, he did it first of all. (laughs) Yeah. 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 For sure. Uh, but. Also, That's, it was 87 steps. So that would make sense, leaving the front door and running to wherever she ended up getting hit. That's probably 87 steps. Yeah, but the thing is, she wouldn't have had her phone in her hand because he threw it. Oh, that's true. If he threw it. Yeah. I mean, they just theorized that. So, Or maybe, maybe she said, I'm going to run outside and call the cops on you. Fuck you. And she ran 87 steps and he hit her and she... That's when she went down. Or he just tossed the phone outside. She opens it, picks it up, and then has it in her hand when she is running from him. Yeah, because, yeah. Well, and that's the other thing is, is that we don't know the time of death. No, you, they didn't release that at trial. Uh, if anybody knows, please send us we a, couldn't a find email it or a anywhere. DM. Because that's the question here is, then did... Was she alive still up until and just didn't have her phone on her up until one fifty one a.m. and is that when the shit went down? Oh, between that the door did open and that you know opened and shut at ten fifty three, and then they weren't touching their phones, and then at one fifty one is when she because it's that not it's not sense. like she wasn't wearing a watch. It's not like she was wearing her Apple Watch. So every time she moved. The only time it was going to track would be if, if she had her phone in her hand. Right. And who knows what they're doing between, you know, 1054 is the last time she was clocked. And hit, the last time he was clocked was 1110. Between 1110 and 151 a.m., who knows what could have happened. So between 1103 and 1110, he takes 18 steps. That could be going to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. That could be going outside. Who knows? Yeah. But 
Well, it wasn't outside because the doors weren't opened. That's true. At 1.51 a.m., the front door opens and it stays open until 5.12. That is what makes no sense. So it does seem like shit went down in this time frame. But what doesn't make sense is how her phone would have got outside with the bottle on top of it with tracking stopping at 10:54 unless if he, she was killed between 151 and 5:12 well unless he threw her phone outside and sometime later on like at 151 she's like where the fuck is my phone and he's like i threw that shit out the window fuck you go get it and then that's when she goes outside cuz it also strikes me as bizarre if the crime occurred around 10:54 how that's relatively early in the evening yeah you and i stay up late you know if someone was hollering and got whacked on the head outside my house i feel like i would hear it at you know 11 o'clock at night 2 a.m maybe not more likely yeah. i'm in my bed more likely more people are sleeping and she's found at 5 15 or so yes so that's about three hours that she would have been out there that there's not going to be traffic on a, right. a suburban and people street. are most likely going to be asleep yes so or what we what we're saying is 1045 to 1054 this the steps that are tracked of her that are 87 are just her walking around the house Mm -hmm. probably and that he maybe opens the front door throws her phone out and she doesn't know or he doesn't say anything to her and she's either too drunk or they're drinking together or whatever happens she did have semen in her in the vaginal swab but due to a low sperm count they couldn't tell whose it was but likely it was his sure so maybe he's like i don't want you to be on your phone throws it out and she doesn't know it gets thrown out and doesn't go after it until 151. And she's like, wait a minute, where's my phone? And then they get into a fight. Mm-hmm. That yeah. they, they took the lingerie pictures and then. Because he sex. says they took the pictures at 1030. Yes. And so they that would sex. make sense that at 1053, he's awake, gets pissed off. Maybe they got into a fight about something or whatever. With the pictures. He tosses it outside. Yeah. Tosses it outside, and then they have sex because she was wearing the pink lingerie, but when she was found, she was only wearing the bra and not the mm-hmm. underwear part. Yes. And she did have semen on the vaginal swab. So the angry situation happens at 151. They go outside. He hits her in the head. He's like, like McBrayer said, oh, shit. The training kicks in, puts the bottle down, the phone down, and then open, whips open the door because it was already open and then doesn't thinks he closes it and doesn't close it behind him runs upstairs you know does his takes off the shirt and the towel or whatever and then as the witness later said they saw him pacing he let he did not have his phone on him but was walking around the house and that's it, not to say he wasn't walking around just because the phone didn't track it right and it yeah exactly and uh there are uh his phone he did call around five or five twelve her phone Yes. It shows that he called her phone for like 28 seconds and that he also called another thing in his that in his contacts it was just labeled case mm-hmm. for 0 seconds and that he also called his own phone for 0 yeah. seconds. So and I wonder because the fast food worker was there around 5 a.m. And so I wonder if he looks out and sees a car and is like, "Oh fuck, well I'm going to call her phone like I don't know where she's at." Right. Mhm. Yeah. It's like with Brian Schaefer where the guy makes the text message of like, hey, buddy, where are you at? And it's like, are you, you're not, are you really wondering where they are? Or you're just trying to make it look like you're wondering exactly. where they are? Exactly. Yeah. I think that is, I think we're onto something with that timeline. That yeah. the, At 5 a.m., that's once he sees the, because na- the neighbors can see him, he can see the neighbors. Sure. You know what I mean? If they're yeah. out there parked, 
Because the girl slows to a stop, sees the body, goes to get her parents, comes back and stays parked out there. And then the mom of the the fast food worker gets out of the car and checks her pulse and is like, ma'am, ma'am, ma'am. So yeah. he says, oh, fuck, I'm pacing around back in the back and forth in the house. And then he sees the neighbors touching her. He knows what's happened. And again, oh, sure. that's why he ain't shocked when the cops show up. And wouldn't you run outside at that point? Like, shit, that's my wife. Oh, my God. That's where you were. Not like, oh, I called her phone. It's like, motherfucker, they saw you walking around inside the house. You're pacing nervously inside. Yeah. And the two other calls of he called himself and he called whatever the other number was. I wonder if he was fumbling around and like accidentally, you know, he was trying to call her and then, you know, called a mm-hmm. previous number in his phone or whatever and didn't call her. Yeah. Yeah. I So I think that the time of death is sometime probably like around one fifty one to 2 a.m. Correct. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, perhaps the biggest surprise of the trial came when Kat's mother, Kathy, chose to testify on behalf of Jeff. She was the only witness the defense called. Kathy came to Jeff's defense, testifying that her daughter could not just drink one drink. She'd say, I need another one. She went on to say that when her daughter got drunk, she would often take her clothes off and run around outside, and that she had witnessed her jumping on the couple's trampoline and off of an electrical box while drunk, something Jeff had also told authorities. Kathy also testified that her son-in-law was extremely distraught over the loss of Kat, and that when he saw her body at the funeral home, he broke down. Due to Kathy's fragile emotional state, Assistant D.A. McBrayer chose not to cross-examine her, according to AL.com. Which I think is an excellent choice. Sometimes attorneys have hearts. <laughs> I mean, well, and also I think you what are, are going to get out of it. You're too? not going to get any no. information out of it that helps your case. A and B, if you come off even a tiny mm-hmm. hair of an asshole, you're losing the jury that sure. I think you already have. Because I've seen interviews with McBrayer and he's charismatic. He's a good, you know, a good presenter, a good speaker. So once you have them on your side, it ain't worth it, man. Don't mm-hmm. lose it. Don't no. lose it. I agree. I agree. Yeah, and Jeff said that it was not uncommon for his wife because they were like, well, she was found in a in just her bra. And he's like, yeah, it's not uncommon for her to get drunk and just take her clothes off and walk up and down the street or go into our backyard and jump naked on the trampoline or twirl around on our pergola and stuff. So, I mean, she was an exhibitionist. And I think when she drank that as it does with most of us you know things uh we become even more of an exhibitionist so he tried to much like his attorney kind of play this paint this narrative of this is who she was you know she this is so he used that to her to his advantage oh for sure and the thing is though she it would be relevant if she had a broken neck that they said oh she would jump on the trampoline and she would jump off these things the fact that she was killed with blunt force trauma to the head, I don't think that's relevant. But again, mm-hmm. as a DA, you're not going to object to like, she used to jump around on a trampoline. Okay, objection. It's irrelevant. It's like, okay, well, now you look like an asshole. Just let let her say whatever she wants to say and just harp on the bottle, the blood on the bottle, mm-hmm. the fingerprint on the bottle, the head wound. It could not have been a fall. She did not fall. She did yeah. not fall. All the DNA evidence. The yes. hard evidence. And the dude pacing around and back and forth in front mm-hmm. of the house. Kathy had also made her position known before the trial even began, saying in interviews that her daughter struggled with bipolar disorder and that she strongly believed in Jeff's innocence. According to Life Daily, Kathy said, He didn't do this. He's a good man. He loved her with all his heart. 
Not nearly as surprising, Jeff's mother, Carolyn, also claimed her son didn't have a problem with his wife's online persona, saying, He wasn't jealous. He knew she was sick and needed the attention. She wanted everyone to think she was beautiful. Okay, well, she's dead now, so let's have some respect. Yeah, maybe have some, some respect. And it seems like from the implication of certain texts that they had a contentious relationship carolyn mm-hmm. and cat and everything mm-hmm. i i totally get why kathy would it would be so hard for her to accept that someone she knew and loved for so long could do this to her daughter but you're kind of also shaming your daughter it's like smearing her name again it's yeah. her dignity and they're they're painting her to be this you know she would flash everybody and had to have attention and she had all she was a drunk exhibitionist with mental health issues is what they're saying pretty much and it's very strange that it's the victim's family and not just the perpetrator's family that's that's saying Mm -hmm. that and again it's your granddaughter's mom it's not even as your daughter but now you have this poor kid who is going to maybe be teased at school because your grandma got on the stand and said your mom got drunk all the time and took her pants off. Mm-hmm. Hot. Like, kids are shitty and bad. And yeah. it's, I guess she just really, really wanted to save Jeff. That that poor kid. Yeah. I mean. Move she, her out of that town. What's that? Move her out of that town. Oh, yeah. It's too I small. I mean, she's 12, 13 years old or something. That's, I mean, obviously life-changing, but that's like at your critical I need a mom time. And it's mm-hmm. just so sad that she was just ripped from her life like that. And then, yeah. And then you, not only is everyone else hearing this stuff about your mom. Now you just got to hear all this stuff about your mom all and your stuff. dad. Yeah. And, and their relationship. And I never want to think about my parents doing it much less no. all, ki- you know, all that stuff. And that's all the fighting. And yeah. And you're like, from- Oh, no wonder I was at grandma and grandpa's every weekend. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It's- and then after, uh, Kathy testified, Jeff was going to take the stand in his own defense. Yeah. He was like very headstrong that he was going to take the stand. And rightfully so he changed his mind and decided not to, after he talked to Kathy and Carolyn and his lawyer, because, again, there is nothing to be gained from the nope. jury talking to him because he Fact, is not. There's a lot to lose. Yes. He's not a likable guy. They already watched videos and decided yeah. you're an ass. Don't open your mouth and confirm it. Nah, nah. After four days of testimony, both sides presented their closing arguments. The jury of nine women and three men then deliberated for five hours. They requested Kat's time of death, which had been left out of the evidence presented at trial. However, according to a reporter for Birmingham CBS 42 who was in the courtroom, the judge said he cannot comment on evidence and that the jury will have to sort this out themselves. They also requested to review body cam footage showing Jeff's interaction with the first officer on the scene, again after seeing it at trial. Lastly, they asked to see the iPhone health app data to prove the steps Jeff and Kat took the night of her death. So that's clearly what they were trying to do, what we were trying to do, is yep. piece together this timeline why wasn't her time of death presented? I don't know that they um, could say with a certainty what it was. Because that's a weird, or maybe, I don't know, if that a weird reply from the judge? I mean, if he can't comment on it, I think they get a copy of all the evidence that was presented at trial. And you can look at like transcripts of when people uh, testified or what people said when they testified. So if it was not in there... 
then they can't know it. Like, they can't get yeah. extra evidence, basically. So for some reason, it wasn't presented. Whether the DA decided to leave it out because it didn't help their theory or the defense, tr- or, or again, they couldn't pinpoint it. They just it. didn't know. Yeah. They just couldn't pinpoint it. It does sound, though, like the jury was asking the right questions. And I'm not just saying that because those are the questions we were asking. <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, they and also they took their time. You know, they deliberated yeah. for five hours and I think they were thoughtful in what they did. And they could have called it a night and gone home. Uh, but yeah. they, they decided to stay until they had an answer. Mm-hmm. Around 10 p.m., the jurors returned to the courtroom with the unanimous verdict. Jeff West was guilty of manslaughter, a Class B felony in Alabama punishable by two to 20 years in prison reports indicated that jeff sat motionless and did not react as the verdict was read yeah mcbrayer wanted it to be murder and then said he would it was acceptable to include the lesser offense of manslaughter and then robbins wanted to get criminally negligent homicide which is a misdemeanor added and the da objected and the judge kept criminally negligent off so their choice was either murder which in alabama is you Cause the death of another person with the intent to kill them or the intent Mm -hmm. to kill someone else and you happen to kill them or a reckless, a reckless circumstance that shows an extreme indifference to human life. And I looked up some manslaughter. charge. No, that's reckless murder. And so in Alabama, if say one of the cases I found that someone was convicted of reckless murder was when the definition of extreme uh, extreme indifference to human life was when someone took like 10 shots of alcohol and then mm-hmm. had a passenger in their car and was driving like 90 miles an hour in the fog. Like what mm-hmm. some that you're just acting in such a way that you just don't give a fuck if somebody dies. Also, murder can be like arson, burglary, you know, sure. felony murder. So in Alabama, I think McBrayer was trying to say he intended to kill her. You know, he swung this bottle at her. He wanted to kill her. How could you not intend intend to kill her? Well, manslaughter in Alabama can be used as a defense to murder. And manslaughter is if somebody recklessly causes the death of another person, but it only gets bumped to reckless murder if there is that extreme uh, indifference to human life. So if someone just recklessly causes the death of another person, then that is a uh, manslaughter in Alabama. And in, in one of the cases I found, uh, somebody was shooting a gun out into the street and a bystander got hit. Mm-hmm. And that's you're being reckless. You know, it wasn't like they were spraying an AK-47 into a crowd. That would be extreme indifference to human life. But he was fucking around in the back of his or Yeah, I think he was sitting on the back of a truck and was just kind of shooting in the neighborhood and somebody driving by got shot on accident. So that's manslaughter. So it's interesting to think, were they deliberating in the as the jury of I think it's murder and others were saying, I don't know. And they kind of came to an agreement of, well, we all can agree he's guilty Maybe we can't all agree that it was intentional, intentional. so we're going to say that this is what happened. And I also, also manslaughter in Alabama law is if you cause the death of another person under circumstances that normally would be murder, like you intended to do it, but that you did it in a sudden heat of passion caused by a provocation. But in all of the uh, reports, the reporters all called it reckless manslaughter. So I believe I was trying to search Alabama, Shelby County, Alabama may shock you. I could not find their court records online. Larger metropolises tend to have them online, but I could not find um, like the charge sheet. So if you have that, mm-hmm. send it to me because I was digging around uh, and I did not want to send in a FOIA request because it would take too long in COVID. Um, but they kept using the phrase reckless manslaughter. So it seems that they chose that he recklessly caused the death that 
they maybe could agree that he swung the bottle, like, get out of here and happened to yeah. hit her. I think that he was pissed off and hit her in the head. Yeah. Um, but it seems like they were able to agree on the fact that he recklessly caused her death, mm-hmm. but yeah. not that he intentionally caused it or that he had some sort of indifference to human life. Assistant District Attorney McBrayer told Alabama News, While we continue to believe this was an intentional murder, we are pleased he is being brought to justice. The state will seek prison time for Jeff. When asked why he thought his client received the verdict he did, Robbins told AL, We're in Shelby County. That's the key factor. We're in a very conservative county, a county that's very pro-law enforcement. He plans to seek a sentence of only probation for his client. Well, yowza. (laughs) Good luck, bro. They need at least more than two years because I'm assuming he would get credit for time served because Mm -hmm. he was in there from, what, Feb of 18 till now? Mm Mm-hmm. So if he gets sentenced to two years, they're going to let him out. Mm Mm-hmm. Once the verdict was entered, Jeff was remanded to custody pending sentencing. The sentencing hearing is scheduled for January 11th, 2021. So it's coming up. It's coming up. And yeah, he's in jail right now awaiting that. And like we said, we'll see how that goes and then update everyone on a mini-sode. Yeah. So what do we think? We've talked a lot about it, but I... I I think we have a couple more things to probably say. Yeah, I think we've we've established the timeline of what happened when, I think, Mm -hmm. based on the evidence available. uh, The jury was tasked with a really Mm -hmm. tough situation because you really do have to prove intent. And here you you really only have circumstantial circumstantial evidence. So they did what they had to do. And I think he Robbins made a good point that it's a conservative county that who knows if somebody on the jury was booty tight about her, you know, like offended by her, you know, uh, side hustle and was, you mm-hmm. know, thought, well, she was probably, you know, listened to her mother. She had bad behavior and was acting out. Uh, or it just really is. There's just circumstantial evidence and there's just not enough to prove that he, you know, followed her out there and intentionally. I think if there was a gun involved, if there was strangulation mm-hmm. involved or something like that, I think even if you could argue that it was heat of passion that still bumps it down to manslaughter in Alabama. Yeah. I a hundred percent think he hit her over the head and killed her. Mm-hmm. I cannot say with a hundred percent certainty that I think he did it with the intent to kill her. Yeah. He, I think that they were both very drunk, had gotten into a fight. Their relationship was volatile. He hit her over the head, maybe thinking, I could kill her. I don't care. Maybe I'll just mm-hmm. hurt her. But regardless, she ended up dying. But I, I think the jury, I, I can see why they came to that verdict. What I don't really get is, once again, Robin's excuse or his explanation. Because if you're in a very conservative county that's very pro-law enforcement, I would think that that would mean they'd swing his way. Oh, and like let him off? Yeah, because like you yeah. said, they'd be like... All butthurt about her side hustle. Also, he's Mm ex-military. And, you know, so, I mean, while that's not law enforcement necessarily, it's kind of under the same umbrella. So I would say the conservative county would have kind of helped Jeff. True. But and and on the flip side, if it is a pro-law enforcement county, you have detectives, the uh, officer luigi i can't remember his last name yeah uh it starts with an r showed up on the scene and so 
you have them testifying, and then if it is a pro law enforcement county, they're going to eat up what they say. You know, they're going to believe, and they're going to believe the district attorney, and they may be anti defense attorney and be like, "Oh, he's just a smarmy lawyer," you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you're right. Robbins maybe that's is, true. It's again a very bizarre thing for him to see. You know, one of the yeah, more... he seemed like he was just grasping at straws Bless through this whole trial. To be honest, yeah, you wonder. Uh, I mean, what the the maybe the pickings are slim in that area for mm-hmm. defense counsel, but. He, uh, I mean, he tried. <laughs> I wouldn't say this is necessarily ineffective. It's a pretty high bar to have ineffective assistance to counsel. I'll be fascinated if, uh, like he said, he's trying to seek probation. If he gets more than probation, I wonder if he will, uh, Robbins will try to appeal it on some it, grounds. Yeah. Of, like, will the text be, shouldn't uh, have been let in or whatever. I also wonder if the fact that they have a daughter is going to play into it. Like, well... She's lost her mom. We want her to have her dad to raise her. Although it sounds off like she'd be better with the grandparents, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But she's already spending I, time with them. I hope that for justice for Cat, that he does serve time in in prison. It is not just gets out come January eleventh. Yeah, and and I hope that's the case as well because I think and. Uh, District Attorney McBrayer said it again and again, and I think it's incredibly impactful and powerful. He's like, she mattered, and the reason mm-hmm. why we're pursuing this is it wasn't, oopsie, it was a fun, you know, a fun night that ended in an accident. He's like, this is a person whose life was taken from them, and she mattered, and you have to take that off the table. Of well, you know, you feel bad for the kid. It's like, well, the kid also had a mom that she loved, yeah, who's one hundred percent deserves justice. So. I think it'll be interesting to see how the the uh, sentencing plays out, and if they do have, you know, Kathy come back at sentencing and try to, you know, say something or mm-hmm. whatever. But uh, it's hard, I think, when there is the victim's family is not asking for sentencing. Yeah, that's gonna. I think that'll play into it. It's still bizarre. I'm wondering if at some point that changes because we've seen in other cases where at first the victim's family is like. Yeah, in fact, wasn't it, gosh, I can't remember what case we covered, where at first, or maybe it was Aaron Hernandez, at first the sisters, no, they were always at at odds, weren't they? There Mm -hmm. was some case we did where the victim's family at first was kind of on the perpetrator's side, and then halfway through the trial, they were like, nah, this can't be. Yeah. Yeah, and they they change their minds, mm-hmm. which you know you have the right to do that. Grieving is a hard process, especially Absolutely. when you've been something like this. So, well, and things come out at court that maybe you didn't know about. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure, for sure. So, I'm guessing the daughter is with uh, one or both. You know, one of the other sets of grandparents. So let's hope she's yeah. you know safe and doing well wherever she's at. Because uh, at the end so of the sad. day, she lost her both of her parents. You know, because yeah. of a, her dad's acts actions. She's a huge victim in this as well. Mm-hmm. Super sad case. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out, and we will definitely update you guys. We love providing sinisterhood to you at no cost, so if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. 
As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Ruling the Airwaves tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode, and patron-exclusive video and audio content, including our fun new edition, The Wheel, where we spin a real game show wheel and talk about all kinds of fun stuff. You also now have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We'll also be hopping on occasionally and hosting monthly Q&As, where you can ask us all of your burning questions. For our patrons not in the U.S., you now have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select an annual membership option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. We recently added a new tote bag design and some warm, cozy socks for the winter. We also have beanies, hoodies, and all kinds of cool stuff. So if you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, Visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Shop along the top banner. It's very cool to see all the people with their autographs. Uh, uh, Tumblers? Tumblers as well. Yes. Yes. yes they're, they Lots came of out. Christmas presents given, which and was very humbling. We had a couple messages that the husband got the wife a Donner laser shirt and she got him a Keep It Creepy shirt. Oh, so I love that. They, they, that's a, this a cute little switcheroo. So we uh-huh. appreciate it. Send those pictures. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps small podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Christy? I am on Twitter at Christy or GTFO and on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace. Heather? I am on Twitter at MCK versus the world and on Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts. Lamb. Dana McKay. Kristen Harrell. Emma Larkin. Tiffany Cook. Kelsey Hubbard. Alyssa Hagen. Selena Pauling. Allison Lindsay. Sean Stewart Maddox. Julie Spears. Finch Fry. Miss Dutch Apple Pie. Jessica Hennessy. Leo. Ava Dooley. Ada. Andrea Frick. Kristen Pachowski. Melanie Gava. Lynn Shecky. Chelsea. Brittany Clausen Rodriguez. Dana. Kirsten Gross. Rain Hooper. Sierra Snyder. Connery. Ashley Daymore. Joe Hayes. Courtney Stein, Amy Calger, Rebecca Alwan, Miranda Meekins, Courtney Staley, Lindsay Cooley, Don Michelle Lewis, Shelby McCorkill, Esther Hume, Lily Burke, L. Rose Rohana, Kelsey Foss, Amy McFarland, Logan Lane, Karen Golding, Jessica Cloud, Lisa Hugaboom, Lauren Tennyson, Nancy Baca, Megan Miller, Kelly Knoll, Emma Jansen, Brittany Phillips, Rosie Nolan, Maisie Northing, Anna Linder, Callie Teacher, Sarah Clay, Emma Godin, Mary Fukutomi, Kathy O'Brien, 
Thank you guys. What a list. You're what amazing. A, what a Christmas present. What a way to ring in the new year. We love you guys so much. We couldn't do this without you. We sincerely appreciate all of your support, especially during these trying times. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Happy New Year's and keep it creepy. Sinister. Who-